Black, Who Loves, Labour's Watched, everyone. Uh, as always, I'm Helena. And I'm Francesca. And yeah, this is a entertainment, arts, culture podcast where we talk about generally female-focused art and culture from movies to theatre to books to TV shows. Mm-hmm. And we discuss, gosh, anything that takes our fancy. And we also interview fun people. So uh, we're going to start off with an interview with the lovely author, Laura Kay. And we're also going to chat about WandaVision, which has just wrapped up recently, Disney Plus's new Marvel TV show. Yes, I am so excited to speak to you a bit more about WandaVision. But first off, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about our author this week? Uh, Laura is the author of a debut novel called The Split, which was published on March 18th in the UK, which is only a few days um, after this podcast is being released. So congratulations to Laura. She's uh, been writing in various newspapers and magazines, such as The Guardian. And basically, her novel has come out of being one of 10 writers suggested, selected sorry, for this programme that Penguin Random House run in the UK called Right Now, which basically mentors uh, young, not young, even young authors, mentors debut authors in order to help them finish their novels, find agent representation, and then get their books out into the world. So that's where her book, The Split, has come from. And it's quite interesting because we've also interviewed other Right Now authors in the past, but we'll get to that. For now, Francesca, do you want to introduce the novel? The book is about this woman, Ali, who is dumped by her girlfriend of many years, Emily, and she's heartbroken and confused and a bit lost. And she flees London where she's been living with Emily and she goes up north to Sheffield, her hometown, and reunites with her dad who lives there. And she kind of like sort of hunkers down uh, to try and deal with this loss, essentially, that she's going through of this relationship. So whilst it's quite funny, like she takes her cat, well, their mutual cat she takes with her kind of without (laughs) Emily really knowing but it's also also really dealing with just like what it's like to kind of go through that sort of situation and like to think that you're going to end up with someone Mm -hmm. and then have that sort of that rug swept under your feet um however while she's in Sheffield Ali kind of starts to find her feet and she reunites with an old friend Jeremy Ali and Jeremy start uh, running and that sort of becomes a focus for them and a like way for their friendship to blossom And also Ali gets a kind of new love interest, this other runner woman called Jo, who Ali sort of like starts to kind of get to know, but equally she's still kind of gunning to get Emily back. And that's the plot. And we kind of follow Ali through this, um, through these few months of her life that are real, like a real turning point for her. There's lots of humour, but also lots of meaningful moments of connection and reconnection as well, because Jeremy is like an old high school friend who she hasn't seen in many years. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, keep listening for Laura's interview. And then afterwards, we'll be chatting a little bit more about the book and moving on to talking about WandaVision. Enjoy. So I wanted to start off then. Do you think you give us a brief synopsis, as spoiler free as possible, I suppose, of the split and the story? Yeah, of course. So the split is about a woman named Ali who is dumped by her girlfriend, moves back to Sheffield to live with her dad um, and reunites with a childhood friend. And they sort of try and figure their lives out together. uh, And in doing so, they undertake running the Sheffield Half Marathon. And a crucial point is she has taken her girlfriend's cat with her. (laughs) Yeah, love love that the cat is definitely a crucial part of the story. We can't leave that out. No. (laughs) Um, 
And this is your first book, which is really exciting. We wondered what was the inspiration behind the novel? I don't know if there are a few different things that sparked it or if it's something that's been in the works for a while. Yeah, so I came up with the characters first. They sort of existed before the rest of the novel did. Um, and I sort of built the rest around them. Um, the running came in because when I was writing this novel, which I started probably two years ago now, I was training for the London Marathon. And so it was like very in my uh, sort of the forefront of my mind. And um, I knew that running was something I wanted to write about, but I also knew that it could be really funny. Um, they aren't athletic characters and yeah, and I'm not an athletic person. And so I knew that that was like an element that I wanted to bring into the book. Did you manage to, uh, did, you do the, did you do the London Marathon that year? I did, yeah. Yeah, wow. Congrats, yeah, hottest, that's really impressive. It was the hottest year on record, thank you. Um, it was absolutely horrific and I will never do it again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And I think uh, alongside sort of running, uh, another big theme of the novel is queer people, relationships, mm-hmm. uh, representation as well, too. Uh, and was this always kind of an important theme of the book for you that you wanted to write about, include and then represent, particularly in a you know a book world where often these characters kind of go unwritten? Yeah, I mean, I have to say it it never occurred to me to write anything other than queer characters um, as a queer person. Uh, those were the characters that sort of came naturally to me um I I don't think I would have written a very good novel about straight people um but it was important to me to have queer characters represented and I think in many ways I wrote the book that I would like to read I wanted to read something fun where like queer characters I mean and don't get me wrong I know these characters sort of go through it in this book but I think at the heart it's a fun novel like it's a rom-com it's like um it's funny they it's like you know and this their sexuality is not the thing that is causing them grief in this novel and that was really important to me I think that is something that I would have liked to have read yeah and as you say, there's a lot of funny moments in the book, but it does sort of balance, you know, lighthearted moments with more serious moments. And I think particularly like, you know, the novel's called The Split, and it is about this really painful breakup that the main character, Ali, goes through, um, you know, particularly when she first comes home to Sheffield and she's sort of retreating to her bed and then like her dad's helping comfort her. You know, that all feels very candid and, and very raw. Um, we wondered how you balance those sort of, you know, humorous, lighthearted moments with the, you know, more serious parts of the book that sort of touch on yeah her process of of sort of getting through this breakup um I think I I tend to write so a lot I wrote a lot of dialogue first of all which which comes really easily to me um I could easily write a whole book of dialogue and be totally happy with it my editors would not be happy with it but uh, I would love it and I think the dialogue is quite is where a lot of the fun comes in like um, especially with Ali and Jeremy. Um, I think that's where a lot of the lightness is. Um, and it's, I find it much harder to write the the seriousness and the darker moments. And I think, so I built sort of a solid foundation of the light. So all the, the funny moments and them messing about with each other. And then I sort of was able to build in their foundation sort of, as it were, if that makes sense. Um, so, so to sort of ground it in something a little bit deeper 
so like for example there's a moment where um jeremy is having a sort of um a difficult time and um ali goes to see him and there is so much silliness in their conversation they really are just messing about with each other um and but i also really wanted to reflect like how dark a time he was having and like finding that balance was difficult but like once i achieved it i think i hope um i i feel like it it gets uh, both of their personalities across even more and i think it's also quite a them both being from sheffield and having that kind of sheffield sensibility of like not really wanting to make a fuss necessarily and uh not talking a lot about feelings um so i really wanted to have two sides a sort of like inner uh situation going on and then maybe outwardly they're still joking and messing about with each other um yeah yeah it's a difficult balance as you said already running becomes kind of a key theme of the book one thing about this running is that it's not really about ali kind of like improving her fitness changing her appearance it's like for her right and it's about finding her focus and you know achieving things for herself and like again you know running is an important part of the novel to you and it was part of your life at the time um yeah so can you speak a bit more about the role of running in this book as like a both a plot point but also for like characters development and their lives rather than just their physical fitness you know what I mean yeah so I um I think there's something that I found in my own life about running about the act and it sounds so simple of like simply moving forward so like even if you are really going through something and you're very anxious which is something you know that I've struggled with um if you've done nothing else that day, you have physically moved yourself forward. And I think there is something uh, particularly about running um, that I just wanted to try and capture uh, that it can do for people in that way. And I really, really wanted uh, for Ali and Jeremy to not have any kind of physical transformation, not have any kind of um, sort of like eureka moment about running where they've like found this like, fix for their lives um because I know a lot of people that run and I know a lot of people for whom running is extremely helpful but I don't think it's realistic that it's a cure I think it's very good for sort of maintaining uh people um and I mean honestly I I I just wanted to write about running in a funny way like I adored writing the Sheffield half marathon I don't know if either of you know Sheffield well but it's incredibly hilly uh it's absolute torture to run in Sheffield uh, especially for people that aren't particularly fit and perhaps have only trained for eight weeks so um I, I just knew that was going to be a great moment for them and something for them to really achieve um even if they'd done pretty much nothing else which is you know true of them both in that period of their lives. Yeah, no, I, I love all those descriptions and, and it's quite a journey for them. Um, and it's, yeah, fun and, and satisfying to read. And it's interesting because Ali, she's the novel's heroine. We see the book through her eyes. We see the events through her eyes. And without giving anything away, she doesn't always behave in a, in a likable way, um, which feels completely realistic, but is something we don't always see from a main character. So we wondered how did you go about making her a flawed heroine but a heroine who we still root for and who you know we want to succeed and for her life to kind of get a bit better 
so I um I love that you think that about her because I really like Ali and even though she, I think she's a bit of a nightmare um so I wrote a lot of um throughout the book there are emails back and forth between um her and her ex-girlfriend and I wrote a lot of those uh at the beginning of the writing process and in those I think is some of Ali's worst moments she's so um dramatic and needy and I think she finds it very hard to see herself as a part of the problem and not just a victim of Emily's decision making um and so when I was writing this book I knew that about her all along um but I think we all have that in us to be like that and you know if if someone wrongs us it's very uh easy to be like and they're a terrible person, and I was nothing but wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And, like, there's always two sides to everything. And I think that was important uh, for me to capture in this, that even in a messy breakup, where it might seem to one side clear-cut who is to blame, there's, it's always, there's so much grey areas. Um, and, you know, people aren't perfect, even... So, yeah, even a heroine of a book isn't perfect, uh, everyone's so messy, everyone's so flawed. Um, and I think I wanted to try and uh, capture how, even though she is a bit of a nightmare, she is also completely lovable, which is most people, I guess. Like, everyone's got that in them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this central friendship between Ali and Jeremy, you know, the running partners, she goes back to Sheffield, you know, she kind of focuses on friendship rather than romantic relationships. And this is quite a core part of the book, even though it is also, you know, a rom-com. And again, like, why, why friendship for you? Why was that something you wanted to focus on as much as the romantic part as well? Um, I really wanted to write a friendship between a queer woman and a queer man. I knew that's what I wanted to do uh, from the outset because I don't really read many of those and I rarely see them represented in any kind of um, pop culture. And that is so not representative of my life and the lives of, you know, my friends. Um, And I, so I just knew that that could be a lovely, a lovely friendship. And I think in the process of a breakup, there is, pretty much nothing as important as friendships um and I think more than meeting someone new more than putting yourself back out there um for both of these characters the most important thing that they could do was was focus on themselves and each other really um and yeah I loved writing that it was um as, as much as I loved writing you know love interests and things like that I think the two of them as a core sort of um relationship really yeah they are the 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 core relationship of the book and um I really enjoyed writing that and I I think they have like great chemistry and you know it is it's like romantic in many ways they you know met after many years apart and came together and yeah really sort of looked out for each other and took care of each other and uh yeah yeah I really enjoyed writing that yeah, I, I really liked that they, it was a friendship that was kind of rekindled, you know, like at the beginning, it's a little bit awkward, they're still trying to figure each other out. And then, you know, they end up becoming this really solid partnership, which was lovely to read about. 
And we also wanted to ask you a bit about the writing process because this is your first novel, um, super exciting. And we understand you were part of the Penguins Right Now scheme. So we wonder if you could tell us a bit about that and how that kind of shaped the book and, and I guess just a bit about your writing process in general. Yeah, so I was writing this book for probably, uh, I don't know, six months, a year, like on and off. Um, and, and like really on and off. Like I would write you know, solidly for like three days and then leave it for a month. Um, it was really sporadic. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get chosen for the Penguin Right Now programme, which is the thing that really gave my writing um, structure because I got assigned a mentor who worked with me over the course of the year, which meant I was working to deadlines. So there's really no choice uh, but to do it. Um, and that was just... I mean, completely invaluable. Um, I had never had my writing edited before, which was eye-opening uh, and completely, I mean, it, it helped immeasurably. I can't imagine what the book would look like had that it not gone through that process. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really uh, an amazing process. And then at the end of that year, uh, I sort of got, you know, released back into the world, which was when I... Uh, met my agent and you know everything sort of kicked off from there but yeah the right now program was fantastic I mean I think with the pandemic and the lockdown and everything creative processes can be so important so um, yeah how do you find writing and do you have any advice for people who uh, want to become like want to become debut authors want to write I mean what kind of advice would you have for them yeah, so, um, I mean, yeah, writing in lockdown has been a really strange experience. I actually wrote the whole of my second book in lockdown number one. Um, it is like a total frenzy, and I'm so glad I did it then, because I certainly couldn't do it now. Really struggling for motivation at the moment, as I know a lot of people are. Um, in terms of advice, I would say write every day. Um, and not great long chunks of text and not for hours and hours at a time but if you can set a timer for 10 minutes or 20 minutes like whatever feels doable um and then just write for that amount of time it doesn't have to be good you don't have to wait for inspiration to strike um but just make sure you're doing that every day at the same time if you can or whenever um it will just become routine part of the practice rather than waiting for you it to be this like magical thing um that like happens you know this creative process is actually just the art of sitting down and doing it which you know is a rubbish thing to learn <laughs> uh but it it's true so the best thing you can do if you want to be an author is write the thing that you want to write um and once you've got it down even if it's really terrible at least you have a foundation to work with yeah, I think that's solid advice. And it's really exciting that you've got your um, your second novel in the works as well. I wonder if you could tell us anything about that. I appreciate it might still be early days, but um, yeah, we're excited to learn more. Yeah, so uh, it's, I can't really say much about it. It's um, similar themes in that there are lots of queer friendships, messy relationships, dysfunctional families. Um, there's some travel <laughs> um and it's not set in London like my first novel which is something that I was excited to do again um yeah I think that's all I can say and it will be out 
next year, 2022. Yeah, cool. Awesome. You know, this book itself is uplifting, comforting, I think kind of a book for the a book for the 2021 times. Is there anything like books, films, TV that you particularly enjoyed over the last year that have helped inspire your writing or have just helped you and feel comforted and uplifted anything you would like to share we like having these recommendations out there for our listeners oh yeah so um I mean I have watched some stuff in the past year oh my gosh uh, a lot of trash but I have also re-watched the entire uh of Shit's Creek basically I've watched all the seasons of Shit's Creek which I know so many people have watched out but it's a total joy um and I think it's like the best representation of queer people living their lives and having a wonderful time um that I can think of um so I totally love that and yeah uh in terms of books I I really uh recently reread all of um this is like a slightly uh left field but I really enjoyed Louise Renison's books when I was a teenager did you read those yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I recently reread all of the Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging series which if you yeah read and loved as a teenager I like can't recommend more for like this very weird time that's so comforting and so much fun and just genius like I don't think a better young adult book has been written uh than those novels yeah, I um, I have this. I have memories of really laughing a lot at them, but I couldn't tell you anything that happens in the books. <laughs> yeah, I was exactly the same. I knew they were hilarious, and then I, I mean, I was like two pages in, and I was cackling. Like they stand up; they're so so funny. Um, yeah, and in t- I mean, in terms of like uh, like sort of feel good stuff that's coming out this year, I just read a proof copy of Matt Cain's new novel, which is. The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle, which is about a postman who comes out in his like 60s. And it's an absolutely gorgeous, feel-good, queer book. So for people looking for more of the same, I would really recommend that. Oh yeah, that sounds great. And I, I love your recommendation of revisiting Louise Renison. I genuinely think I might do that this evening. So <laughs> yeah, such a good shout. <gasps> yes, do it. and thank you so much for speaking to us today um it's been really great to hear a bit about process and all the themes of the book and we really enjoyed it so thank you so much for your time oh thank you so much for having me it's been great absolutely i hope you have a good rest of your day yeah thanks you too (laughs) Bye. bye so Thank you so much to Laura for speaking to us. And I think it was really interesting. I want to ask you about this, Francesca, um, how actually it was set in Sheffield. And we've actually come across quite a few different novels by debut novelists of this kind of ilk, you know, uh, young, the life of young people and sort of their relationships and their, their, you know, going through something and having to come out the other side. A lot of those do actually nowadays aren't reset really in London anymore. You know, Beth Leary's The Switch, she deliberately sets it outside of London a lot of it. Um, Exciting Times, Nisha Dolan, Hong Kong, uh, A Love Story for Wilded Girls, another right now alumni, that's Leeds, and then this is Sheffield. So I think it's interesting. I just wanted to see, like, what do you think of this, not trend to put, set these books outside of London, but, like, yeah, where is that coming from? Maybe, you know, why are we seeing the more of that? Yeah, I agree. I think that's quite refreshing because 
you know, it's very commonplace for both books and TV shows about young people finding their feet, finding their, you know, relationships to be set either in London or if they're in the US, be set in New York. But actually, I know mm. as a as a British viewer, when I watch something that's actually set in like Chicago or San Francisco or wherever, I always find that like a bit, just a bit different and a bit more engaging as a result sometimes. And I think the same is true as literature. Like whilst you and I live in London and it can be quite fun to see your own neighbourhoods, you know, pop up, in fiction or on TV. It's also really nice to see other cities across the UK and beyond be highlighted. And Sheffield becomes a big part of this book because it's where Ali returns to in a way that I think lots of us can relate to, kind of she retreats home to her hometown during this moment of crisis. And there's a lot of descriptions Mm. of like the comforting nature of that, like her dad suggesting they get fish and chips. She's in her single bed, like, you know, kind of trying to recover (laughs) and, you know, thinking back on her life um, so far. Those are all quite fun to read. But also Ali does find herself in Sheffield and she finds a new life for herself. She makes new friends and she rediscovers the city Mm. as an adult. And without giving anything away, she does uh, see Sheffield as being part of her future, which is nice. Because, you know, there is obviously a London-centric bias I guess um in a lot of media a lot of media ends up being set in London lots of ways it is a hub but so are vibrant cities such as Sheffield or of course you know you and I always love reading or watching things set in Edinburgh because we used to live in Edinburgh so I and I you know when I was reading this book I've been to Sheffield and I was visualizing it and it's obviously as um Laura was saying a lot of descriptions of running up the hills of Sheffield and um you know even like highlighting particular bars and clubs and and venues that the characters go to and I think that's yeah really fun to read and I know um you and I have a friend who went to Sheffield uni and I was right yeah definitely going to recommend this book to her because I think she would love reading about you know this city that means so much to her in print so I really enjoyed that and um yeah. Yeah, I think it's also it, it kind of dem- one of the things I liked a lot about the book was the fact that it show it it demonstrates how your life doesn't always quote unquote go to plan, you know? Like Ali thinks she's going to stay living on this mm. houseboat with her girlfriend Emily for probably forever more. Her life detouring to being in her dad's house in Sheffield is not something she anticipated, but ends up bringing her a lot of joy and a lot of mm. fulfillment. And the same is kind of true in The Switch by Beth O'Leary. You know, the character Lena, who ends up back in her hometown in the north of England, she never anticipated that happening, but it ends up bringing her a lot of fulfilment too. So I'm really enjoying this uh, trend, if we can call it a trend. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly always think, as I said, it's interesting for us as British viewers to watch um, or to read about other cities in the US and so I feel like for American readers or readers from elsewhere in the world to read about a city like Sheffield rather than reading about London is probably quite refreshing and interesting as well. Yeah and made me think actually when you were saying that Kylie Reid um, who wrote Such a Fun Age really you know very famous book yeah. everyone's been talking about it Philadelphia. Yeah also as we touched on with Laura the main character of Ali, she doesn't always behave well she's not always likeable and I, I do appreciate uh, in a novel where you know, you have a female protagonist, but she doesn't have to be, she doesn't have to fit a particular mould, I suppose, like Mm -hmm. in the, you know, Mm -hmm. I think certainly there'll be people reading this who will be like, Ali's really annoying, or Ali like doesn't deserve happiness or whatever it might be, because they might feel frustrated by some of her actions in the book. But I think Laura really gives her room to breathe and gives her room to make mistakes. um, And doesn't like uh, let her get away with those as such or doesn't kind of celebrate her mistakes, but certainly allows her to be messy and complicated. Um, 
that it feels like that has an added importance too because Ali is a queer character and there are queer relationships at the center of this book and as Laura said for her that just felt like the obvious thing to do um it wasn't like a conscious decision but that's what Mm -hmm. she wanted she wanted to highlight queer friendships and queer relationships it's lovely to see that representation all the same you know it does matter and it is important to imagine like this is totally the kind of book that I think not only will people in their 20s enjoy, people younger will really like as well. I mean, I know that when I was in my teens, uh, I used to often read these kind of, uh, I sort of hasten to use the word chick lit, but like, I, I don't quite know how else to describe it. But, you know, the sort of novels about people in their 20s, it's like it's quite intriguing to you as a young person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The lives of older people, right? Yeah, they always seem very glamorous and everything. So what I like to think is that it's nice to think of younger people being able to read books like that or watch TV like that, but it have queer characters at the centre as well as straight relationships. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to make too, is that, you know, Laura was saying to us rightly that in books, and I've, I've, I think I've either talked about this before on the podcast or I've thought about it before in my head, uh, that oftentimes she's right, queer characters in novels... Um, when whatever part of the LGBTQ plus community they're, they're in, um, the issue is, is that they're often struggling, right? They're struggling to come out. Uh, they're struggling to be accepted. Uh, if they want to be in a relationship, they're struggling to find someone who is also, you know, queer or they want to be with or against family members. There is that element of struggle and of sadness. And I think that is definitely, we don't want to hide that part of what being a queer person is sometimes like. Laura makes a very good point in saying, well, I that doesn't link up with what my experience was. It doesn't link up with what my friends' experiences were. Actually, we are also having lives, having relationships, have friendships. You know, we're just people also, like everyone else. So I think that when she's, you know, she's saying, oh, yeah, she wanted to add these have these characters in her book because she wants to be like, this is the life that I know. This happens, so I'm going to write about it. Yeah, the representation is there because queer people exist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... And yeah, I think, um, you know, I, this book has already been, I think the audio book has mm. been super popular and has already been, you know, making waves. And we know there's a market for comfort reads that also have a, a depth to them yeah. and are not just superficial. So we wish Laura all the, all the best and we want to thank her again for appearing on the podcast. Absolutely. And as a reminder again, uh, Laura's book is now out in the UK, audio, ebook, and also print book. Uh, yeah, but thank you again to Laura. All right, so on to our normal chat version of the podcast. I spoke so loudly that I woke my, do- woke my dog up. Uh, uh, he's woken up. And we are this week going to talk about WandaVision, uh, of course, because it is a show that has been very, very popular. The finale, I can't think of a finale that I heard more about in the past few years, particularly across a really wide spectrum of people. Mm. I saw it Twitter, but I also had friends watching it. I was watching it. I saw it on the news a bit as well. So it is, I think, culturally significant. Mm. And for anybody who hasn't watched WandaVision or isn't familiar, Disney Plus... Um, obviously Disney Disney streaming service has become the focus for Marvel's new sort of like world building series. Marvel themselves have not specifically really done their own shows um, yet. Um, we've had things like Luke Cage and um, the Daredevil and things like that, but those were done in kind of like collaboration with Netflix. So Netflix kind of produced those. Mm. WandaVision is like Marvel's first actual go at doing a full on 
just them, show, no one else involved, yeah. apart from obviously Disney. And WandaVision, as the name suggests, uh, follows kind of like the story of Wanda, Wanda Maximoff, also known as the Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen, um, and Vision. There's a quite complex backstory behind it, but at its heart, it's about two superheroes who we've seen before in the Avengers franchise. They fell in love during one of the movies, and we're now seeing a, a series about them. And uh, Francesca, do you want to kind of take us through why this series has been actually quite narratively and conceptually interesting especially for a mcu show i think that what's really interesting as you say it's the mcu's first foray into television and mm. this show takes television at its heart because yeah. each episode certainly at the at the beginning of the series each episode takes a different period of sitcom history as its basis and tells that that story for that week in the style of that era. So the first mm. episode is filmed in black and white in front of a real studio audience and is as if we are watching a 1950s sitcom. The yeah. characters are dressed in the in the clothes of the era, the cadences of the speech patterns are all as if you're watching the Dick Van Dyke show or another yeah. show of that ilk from that era. And I think that was so intriguing to so many people because it was just perhaps not at all what you would expect from Marvel, who you normally see doing these like crazy battles in the sky and like a lot of CGI and special effects and um, yeah, and also very cinematic. And obviously this in lots of ways became more interior and more, uh, I wouldn't say low key because actually it was very involved, I'm sure to film, but it was very different. And so you had the first week was 1950s, the second week was 1960s, and it kind of proceeded with a few twists and turns along the way. So immediately, I think it got a lot of attention because people were just intrigued to see any show yeah. replicate uh, the TV of like 70 years ago. Uh, that was yeah. just like intriguing to people. And then on top of that, as you say, there was also this excitement about the fact it was the first TV show to start building out this MCU TV Disney Plus world. You, I know, are a MCU fan. Uh, I think you have been for a long time. You've always watched these films at the cinema. So... I'm guessing you were quite excited about this for a while. Had you been hearing about it for a while? I don't think we had discussed it, but that's probably because of reasons that we will come on to. Um, but yeah, what what were your thoughts going into it? Um, I was definitely interested. Um, to be honest with you, I, I know of the shows, the other shows that Marvel have done. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is one big one, sure. And it was always a bit mad. So I always thought, okay, like these shows have a real, real opportunity here to like build, fill in the gaps. Right, fill in the gaps between the films, add some more detail in, play around with format. And I was really excited to hear about WandaVision. Um, my boyfriend, of course, told me because he is a source of everything MCU. You know, he loves this stuff. Um, and he was like, so the concept really is it's Wanda, right, and Vision. And spoiler, okay, I'm sorry. If you haven't watched Infinity War by now, who are you? Sorry, guys. Um, so Vision has died in the canon. Like, we know he's died. So how is he here? And we've seen adverts for it they're all over the buses in the in london so it's like that intrigue from the beginning which is how is vision alive what yeah. is going on why do we know and we knew from the beginning they were very careful with their marketing i think they didn't say anything about what was going on about why it was this format of the different decades of sitcoms for each episode they they said nothing about it so you had to go in very cleverly being like I know nothing. I understand why Wanda and Vision are living in this 50s house. Um, 
you know, why is it like this? And it was really interesting because they very much embraced, didn't they, the format of TV, where it was like they, they ran the whole show as if you were watching a proper TV show with like credits yeah. and advertisements. And in every episode, there was always this moment of like something wrong was happening and you didn't know what it was. So I think for me, I was really intrigued to see what, how, why, why, why this was happening, right? But I think definitely I was really intrigued by the mystery. And I think Connor actually disagrees with me here, my boyfriend. He says by the third episode, you still have no idea what's going on. Like the, 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 they really held the suspense and they held the, the, the mystery. And my boyfriend was a bit like, I was getting a bit bored of it actually. But for me, I mean, I think for you too, I do like TV and I love a good, I love a good like commitment to a concept. If you're gonna do it, if you're gonna do this wonder and vision of trapped in a TV show kind of thing, go for it, do it properly. And for me, I think you'll agree with me here, they really, really, really did. They really, really did their research. It's, it's on parallel, every show, every episode is on parallel with the show they were like um, copying. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the commitment to the acting, the, the costuming, the filming, the coloring, everything. Um, they even like had the uh, writers of the music who did for Frozen do different theme tunes for like every episode. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think it was really, really good. Francesca, I know that the, the TV stuff is kind of more your style. So like, yeah, why is you, why are you somebody who doesn't really watch superhero movies? How did WandaVision get you? Yeah, so I have seen like a handful of the Marvel films, but generally the ones I've watched have been the ones that have been a little more standalone, such as Black Panther, yes. Captain Marvel, um, the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I have... I think I've seen the first Avengers movie, like from like 2012, but until recently I hadn't seen uh, Infinity War or Endgame or any of that. Despite having not seen them though, it's very hard to not be aware of what happened in them all. Yeah. I think the same is probably true of quite a lot of people. Like whilst these movies are obviously like the most successful films of all time, so clearly a lot of people have seen them, uh, people might have seen them in random order or like you know, not necessarily but completely embrace the world. And I don't think I'd ever completely embrace the world. And also, as you say, I don't love superhero films, but I do enjoy sci-fi and I do enjoy movie or stuff where people are stuck in an alternative reality. I always find quite interesting. Um, However, I think what definitely drew me to this was simply the TV sitcom pastiche idea. Because I was just very intrigued by it, especially when... So I didn't watch the first episode when it uh, aired. So I was concerned that having not seen... I'd never seen either Wonder or Vision in a film. So I was concerned yes. that I wouldn't like be able to follow it or something. But it was quickly made clear to me that literally the first few episodes are just, as you say, filmed and followed through exactly as if they were a real sitcom of that era. And as you made the point earlier, there is always like a little moment where things feel uneasy and it feels like something's not quite right. But that isn't, uh, it doesn't, you don't have to watch it knowing why that might be because even like Mm. Marvel fans wouldn't have known what it would be at that point. So yeah, I think what drew me to it was to see that play out. Also, I'm a big fan of both the actors, both Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, I really like. So whilst I'd never seen them in Marvel things, I'd seen them in other things. So I I liked the idea of them as a pairing. So that already kind of intrigued me. Um, And 
I was completely sucked in from the outset. Yeah. And I think it that is really, really clever. You know, you, you're immediately enjoying it and laughing along as you would if you happen to catch some old sitcom on TV on a Saturday afternoon. But it's got this added intrigue of like, okay, but wait a second, how can this be? Because ever so often the quote unquote real world kind of infiltrates whether that's you see that the Wanda is using her magic, which obviously she wouldn't be doing if she was a... Well, I guess it does It does a hark back to Bewitch, so it's not completely unrealistic that that would happen in the sitcom. But there'll be this like level of like seriousness or level of like intensity that comes through that feels out of place with the sitcom. Mm. And, um, you know, it had been explained to me that Vision was actually dead. So the fact of him being there always has this slight eeriness to it, doesn't it? And there are moments yes, like where yes. she looks at him and then she suddenly visualizes him as she actually last saw him when he died, Ooh, yeah. which was really, really unnerving. Scary moments. Yeah. Really unnerving. Yeah. And I remember you pointing out to me too early on that the adverts, the adverts are like really strange. And the same people appear in the adverts every week, uh, this couple. And the adverts become increasingly more unhinged, I would say, and more alarming. Um, but even from the beginning, they just don't seem quite right. There's a sense of things just being a little, Ill, like just not quite in the right place. Um, but it's like visually sumptuous, as you say, from the beginning, because they've got these incredible costumes, this incredible set. It's really exciting and interesting to see how they change the set of like the house from yeah. the 1950s to like the, basically the present day to like kind of 2010s. Um, and, you know, the, the, these are incredible, like, wigs and, yeah, as I said, costumes and cars and, like, all the detail is just absolutely spot on, as you would expect from, like, this billion-dollar series. So, yeah, I think that just hooked me in. And I also feel like the dialogue, the relationship between Wanda and Vision felt so moving and so grounded and uh, they really sold it as being this, like, great tragic love story that yes, there's also lots of funny moments. There's a lot of quippy dialogue because it's very sitcom-y, but it always had this feeling of groundedness, which is probably incredibly hard to achieve. Like all props to the writers. Yeah. It was created by Jack Schaefer and directed by Matt Shackman. Um, and as you said, the theme music was by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez, who did Frozen. And I think they really, they set the tone so well too, don't they? Because each um, opening sequence uh, evokes the period in which the show is... Um, is aping for that episode. And again, all massive props to Elizabeth Olsen because I really think that she carries this whole show. Like, she is the depth of emotion she manages to get because at its heart, it's about Wanda's grief. And Wanda goes through this journey of, you know, grief to acceptance about what's happened as a result of Infinity War and Endgame. And that comes out later. But I think throughout the show, Elizabeth Olsen really carries this grief and that confusion and that mystery when when the tide starts to turn and when the when the illusion starts to break down you can feel like her pain starts to come out and then that's what she's repressing um and then that's what she has to deal with and then you know the various plot lines are her starting to realize what's happening around her and vision also realizing what's happening and her coming to terms with this this grief and i think um the power of that grief and the power of her love for vision and their relationship between them being the linchpin for the show is it, it, a it's very me but B, I think it really gives the show such a strong heart because it's all about Wanda's love for the world she's created and love Wanda's grief, everything that she's lost and her having to come to terms with what's going on. Um, and there's so many beautiful, beautiful emotional moments, you know, between her and her children, um, the way they try and protect each other and her and Vision. And also 
I think it also really helps to build to the end. And I think the end, which is great, isn't about this final battle, basically, where she has to sort of deal with what's happened and the magic and the enemies and stuff. But it really comes down to this moment of Wanda having to accept and let go. That was the moment they were building to the entire time. Like, they knew at the beginning that at the end, what their big moment was going to be was going to be Wanda mm. letting Vision go. And I think when you have a show built on such a strong narrative arc of Wanda's journey, it's all about Wanda. Vision is key, but he's kind of her as well. I mean, for me, that made, alongside the, the really cleverly conceptual, conceptual, it was done very cleverly. For me, like that perfect narrative, perfect arc, and then they bolt on the drama and the action and the world building and then the comedy and things like that. The heart of it being Wanda and her journey, um, building to that beautiful moment at the end, I think for me, made it a 10. Yeah, it was it was very moving. And I think that, that the show got a lot of attention for kind of the way it articulated the grieving process in this, obviously, as you say, quite conceptual, quite kind of out there way, but mm. at the heart, the heart of it remained so poignant and so uh, well the heart was the heart I suppose it was like as you say the final the final battle was purely about Wanda trying to retain control of this world that she created which was basically like an illusion to almost push aside her grief and not deal with it and then she had to deal with it at the end and that was just very moving and I, th I think as you say it just Elizabeth Olsen throughout the whole series played all of it including all the kind of very comedic moments with this sense of almost like an underlying desperation mixed with confusion mm. about like how she wanted to retain control of this world but also she wasn't quite sure what was going on and she was aware that there was maybe outside influences which we do find out that there is um and like I like having not ever seen Wonder in anything like ended it being like okay I now want to go watch like the other films that she's been in and to see like how this relationship with Vision began and learn more about her character but interestingly so I then watched uh Avengers Infinity War because I was told that that is where Wanda and Vision fell in love in Edinburgh and I was like lovely that was like a five minute scene yeah it was, five <laughs> it was basically like but I, you know like it was it was still nice to see that kind of be built up but it's so funny I, I read that actually like their their relationship and even Wanda's character are very much secondary to all of the films that they've been in thus far and it was nice to see her rise at the end to being like this really exciting and interesting and prominent character in this universe. It's really yeah. interesting, actually. Um, so I agree with you. Scarlet Witch, um, for a bit of MCU back knowledge, uh, Scarlet Witch has been in the comics for a long time. And actually, um, she was never called Scarlet Witch until this film show. Sorry. She's always been Wanda Maximoff. Again, they didn't really, I don't think they knew what they were going to do with her. So in that film, Ultron, she's got darker hair. She doesn't really have any more powers than just telekinesis and also mind control. So it's not magic. It's not that. It's just like a power which you assume has been gained from messing around with the power stones. So it's not to do with witches, anything like that. Um, and then she speaks in this heavy, like, Eastern European accent. And then, she and then she turns good because of what happens in that film. And then she's in a civil war with Captain America as part of his like, team. And she's trying to control her powers and stuff. And other than that, again, it's like telekinesis and mind control. But other than that, nothing huge. And then she turns up again in 
uh, Infinity War. And it's interesting, the difference between what happened in those first two films and Infinity War, she's actually got American accent, she's got different colour hair, she's suddenly with Vision, when before that you don't really see them interact that much. Vision is actually much more human-y than before when he was much more robot-y in Ultron. And so their, their characters do shift. And I think that what's happening is that a, Marvel got a sense they needed to have more female characters who were big. So they really bigged up Black Widow. They really bigged up women in Infinity War and in Endgame. You might have noticed that at the end, there was this big, like, females rock moment. All yes. the yeah, all the women joined together for, like, this scene. And it did feel tokenistic. And I do think that people said a bit like, oh, all the women flew together. Wasn't that a bit stupid? But I think Marvel were making a point. And I think that what we're starting to see is they're starting to think we need a place for women in this universe because otherwise Marvel or Marvel know what's going on to be honest with you. They know they'll be behind the curve if they don't have female-led films because that's just happening now. Wonder Woman, etc. So for me, they really looked at... Elizabeth Olsen and we're like we've got we've got a strong actress a strong character and in the comics she is very 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 powerful like very powerful like more powerful than they played her in the first two films so I think WandaVision also worked to do that and they did they really reinvented her character for me like she is they keep her backstory but they really deepened it didn't they and then now they're suggesting actually there's this deeper link so they linked her with witches they said that the reality stone just enhanced her power rather than actually brought it to her and she has this destiny and this control of magic that also links with Doctor Strange's magic, which is from that film Doctor Strange with Benedict Cumberbatch in it. So they did a real about turn with WandaVision, I believe, where basically she's not that big in the other films, but then they realised what a powerhouse they had with the character and with Elizabeth Olsen. And they very cleverly had left it, left it open enough in the films before that they could slightly revamp her character. Yeah, and I certainly enjoyed all the witchy stuff. Um, love witches. <laughs> so that was great to see. And speaking of, we have this other really powerful witch who appears in the show, who starts off as simply the nosy neighbour archetype character in the sitcom and ends up being this sort of mentor figure, sort of nemesis for Wanda. And that is the character of Agatha Harkness, played by the wonderful Catherine Hahn, who you I should have honestly guessed that she was something important because yeah. Catherine Hahn doesn't just turn up in a show. And she was like such a highlight from the outset. Like she had a lot of very funny lines in the earlier in the earliest um, episodes. And then she gradually becomes a little more sinister. And then we find that she is trying to kind of also exert control in this world. She wants to find out how Wanda's done it. And she basically wants to get all her power. Um, but one mm -hmm. of the things she does as well is she magics up this like alternative version of Wanda's brother this is so interesting, isn't it? So he is played by the actor Evan Peters, who played the same kind of role in the X-Men films. I have seen all the yes. X-Men films, largely because of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. But yes, I have seen all of them. Um, but that was really interesting because everybody obviously thought that was like some kind of crazy world merging thing. But it actually turned out to be kind of more of a joke, more of a... Yeah, a just they could. Yeah, and also just a, like a really fun, interesting thing to be able to do to kind of highlight that things were not as they should be, not as they seemed. So that was interesting. Yeah. And then speaking of other cool female characters in the show, I really enjoyed Kat Dennings, who, again, I had never seen her in the MCU before, but she was fun. And also Tayona Paris, who plays Monica Rambeau. Yeah. yeah. And so in Captain Marvel... Monica is just a little girl, isn't she? And she's like the daughter mm -hmm. of a friend of Captain Marvel's, like Captain Marvel's best friend. Um, and here we see her leading 
Well, she's not leading sword, is she? But she's kind of a prominent figure. She's a very important part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And her mother was, was like the leader. And so we sort of get her origin story, don't we? Like we see her... She kind of gains powers by like walking through the hex, as they call it. And also she becomes just a really prominent part of like solving the mystery and sorting everything out. When you first meet her, she's in the sitcom world and Mm -hmm. you don't quite know what's going on. And then later on, you realise that she kind of infiltrated it. So that was quite fun to see. Um, But yeah, I liked how they set up her character as well. And also how they balanced having, continuing to have the sitcom the sitcom strand of the show whilst also having the plot line of the characters trying to investigate what's going on and trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah, and I think they manage that really well. Um, There's this element of, like, who's controlling this? Whose narrative do we believe? What's going on? And I think that deeper idea of narrative and about what's, you know, who controls what is... There was a really great line that Monica said where she's like, Wanda don't let them make you the villain. And I mean, honestly, I mean, in terms of like feminism and female friendships and stuff, like the main characters are all women, mostly, and they all have different powers and none of them are completely a villain, but they all have like such deep reasoning behind what they do, which I think is really cool. No one's 2D in this, apart from actually the actual villain. He's pretty 2D, but that's fine. We don't care about that. Um, And Monica says, yeah, don't let them make you the villain, Wanda. And this idea that like Wanda is really starting to question herself and to maybe believe people who are like, she's bad, you're a witch, you know, you did this to people, you, you know, the whole town is kind of imprisoned, unfortunately, in her reality. And, you know, this guy who turns out to be the villain is trying to say, we don't know why Wanda's doing this, it must be nefarious. And Monica all the way through continually says, right, no, I don't believe that she, don't believe she's doing this on purpose. I don't believe that she's dangerous. I believe that she's in pain and we should help her. And I think that like, that real sense of like, um, being, of sympathy and of caring about people who are actually in trouble, that's one thing. But also the fact that, you know, Monica is very much like, I know that this is what he wants. And I, you know, this maybe sense that like women often, women who are witches, women who are outspoken and powerful, are often deemed as villainous and evil women who don't fit the mold are bad and I think that that's probably not completely what they were trying to do but in terms of including that idea I did think it was really nice to see them actually think about that narrative control and the fact that a question or a theme of the show because it is about a tv and about storylines and about this like fake reality that you can bring in those ideas of like, is Wanda a villain? Is she not? Whose story? Who's controlling her story? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, your point about like the the role of like narrative was really interesting because the idea is that Monica and Darcy and this other character, Jimmy, when they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on, they are essentially watching the broadcast, which is also the broadcast that we're watching as the audience. And so they talk about the show, that the show, quote unquote, that they're watching. They talk about it like they're watching a show. Like when Pietro appears and he looks like Evan Peters rather than, what's his name? Rather than Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah. Um, Darcy's like, she recast Pietro, you know, which is like (laughs) what we would say when we were watching it. Like, oh, he's been recast, you know? Um, So I think that was quite a fun way, again, to kind of like play with those ideas of narration and television and storytelling. And I actually also think it's interesting, and I saw this somewhere, that, you know, a lot of... uh, a lot of these films that have tried to like make female superheroes the focus have been victim to a lot of trolling and a lot of like 
a vitriol. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously very unpleasant and just very, well, very anger inducing. Um, but I don't think one division particularly did have that. In part, I guess, because it kind of approached... By the end, she's like the quote-unquote strong female superhero, isn't she? But she's always nuanced because she has also been painted as a villain in some... And she's not behaved, um, you know, in a in a likeable way, to use that term again. She's not been behaved like that the whole way through. But I think it kind of feels, perhaps, certainly to me, watching, it feels a bit more... Realistic is not the word, but I suppose grounded. Yeah. Because whilst I love watching Wonder Woman or even, like, Captain Marvel, and it's just, like, yeah, this, like, kick-ass woman who's, like, you know, floating around the galaxy. Like, that's really fun. Yeah. But I think actually seeing that, but also having that having that be built up to by seeing her in a more kind of relatable circumstance of dealing with this grief and dealing with this finding herself made it feel a bit more earned, I guess. Do you know what I mean? No, 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 I definitely agree with you. And again, this is why I speak to tokenism, right? It's like, do you make a superhero female film because you know that you should do it? Or do you make it when you have a great character to share? And I think there's two elements to it, right? You need to have the impetus to be like, we need to be making films or shows with these people in the front because otherwise the representation will never go anywhere. But equally, they have to find the right characters. You can't just like make one. They, they kind of tried to do it with Gwyneth Paltrow in Iron Man when they made her the Iron Man suit and it's been like I don't know I don't not like with Paltrow but they've put her in the girlfriend role and she's in that role like you can't just change it up because it feels too sudden doesn't it like she's been in the girlfriend role and mm. we have to accept that she has and trying to just like give her a, an extra personality an extra level I'm not saying you shouldn't do that it's more the fact that it's noticeable and people get annoyed because it feels deliberate and it feels like it takes away from the main thing about it yeah. but then you know in spider-man they, they made mj different they gave her more personality they gave her more stuff to do and no one's questioned it because it's a retelling so it, they've done it from the beginning so it's fine and i think black widow nobody cared no one's so angry about her getting her own film because she's been so central to loads of it and we've seen so much of her own story through all the other films she's been in that it feels okay and it feels like it makes sense but i definitely agree with you that you know it, representation is really important but if you're doing it just for representation's sake people get annoyed because then they feel like, you know, it feels it feels forced. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it definitely is. I think it's interesting to think that this show was created by a woman. And obviously there were, you know, it, it was clearly a collaborative process in lots of ways, as you say, because Marvel are very involved in making sure that it all makes sense and it all works for the greater story. Um, but I think that that was, is just really nice to see as well. And yeah. I also think that, you know, Monica's character, she's black. She's probably going to be like, maybe part of the Avengers at some point, I imagine. Um, that's really great to see on screen. And as you say, there were moments, you know, like we talk about the Bechdel test, there were lots of moments of, or quite a, a significant, I wouldn't say lots, but a significant number of moments where women are talking to one another. And it's definitely not about man, because I guess yeah. Vision isn't even really a man, is he? <laughs> so, no, so yeah, he's I think, made of metal. Yeah, but that was that was good. And just overall, for me, I really enjoyed the show. And I think there were so many levels on which I enjoyed it. And I guess it was never that I thought I wouldn't enjoy it. I just didn't think it was made for me. I thought it was made for like high, hardcore Marvel fans who wanted to see yeah. these characters in a different circumstance. But what would be interesting is to see whether with this new show, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, whether they're able 
to create a similar kind of buzz again it should be clarified that clearly marvel are just like astronomically successful and i don't know if they're necessarily trying to get new viewers but certainly they'll be trying to sustain viewers they're probably so chuffed that this show could potentially get nominated for emmys it could be it could be rewarded in a way that like the superhero films are often kind of viewed simply as fluffy entertainment which isn't obviously Mm. fair and obviously there are exceptions to that rule in that like something like Black Panther was a cultural moment but I think they they can be more generally speaking they can be kind of just ignored perhaps um when it comes to critical acclaim yeah it will be interesting to see whether they sustain it I actually funnily enough one of the reasons I would give it a 10 is because I actually would rewatch it and I wouldn't rewatch it because of wanting to like get all the easter eggs again i actually rewatch it just solely because as a show and as a story as a little package of nine episodes i actually really 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 adored it so it's like would i rewatch the whole show i would rewatch it because i actually think that on its own as a standalone thing it's a great piece of art so um yeah that's why i would kind of leave it with wandavision i guess is that i left it and i wanted to watch it again so i think that that's really important because with shows that doesn't normally happen as much as with films, if you know what I mean. And yeah. honestly, you can't, you can't fault it when the biggest cultural moment or the biggest thing that came out, I think, of WandaVision was that line said by Vision to Wanda in her memories, which was, what is it? What is grief if not love persevering? And you're like, that is so beautiful. And yeah. everyone loved it. And people were all like, drop mic, the writers win. Such a lovely <laughs> sentiment. And I think that's true. Uh, you know, as a show, it taught me something too about grief, I think. And I think if I ever had felt like Wanda did, that would be a that would be a, a line from the sh- a line that actually I would think would actually help me. So that's also quite an important thing about the show. I think it actually said something quite important. Yeah. And I think for that to be its legacy, that line, which I'm sure we will see reverberate through pop culture but also, you know, in our real lives, I'm sure we'll we'll hear that over and over in the future. I think for that to be its legacy as opposed to like it was the show where, like, there was this epic battle in the sky. Like, yeah. again, not to say that the epic battles are not epic, they are, but, like, I think that just, again, shows how grounded it was in in empathy and in heart. I think that, well, we could keep going on about WandaVision, but uh, we won't, because it's just going to end up being me being like, WandaVision, no. Uh, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. We'll be back next month as always and thank you also to laura for coming on the show we really recommend you guys read her book and also if you're interested in listening to more about what we've said um we've talked about um beth o'leary's books on the podcast before and with beth in episodes from a few years ago um love story for bewildered girls that book we mentioned we've also done interview with the author and talked about the book as well and we have two years worth of back catalog in uh, on soundcloud itunes and spotify so really recommend if you're interested in listening to more of us go back we've done talked about a whole bunch of things and all our episodes have um what we're going to talk about in the description and title so it's very easy to see what we're going to rant about that week <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yeah, we'll see you next month for more chat. Yeah. Oh, before we go, we are on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Love's Real LLW on Twitter and Love's Labour's Watched on Instagram. We also have a um, Gmail if you want to contact us with business inquiries or general inquiries. Love's Labour's Watched at gmail.com. Pitch us someone to come on the show. Pitch us an idea. We're really happy to chat and follow us on our social media. And yeah, to echo Francesca. We'll see you guys next month. Bye.
stay safe everyone and yeah enjoy the spring weather we are a bit aren't we <laughs> all right bye bye